Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. Turn me in the book of Psalms, Psalm 126. Psalm 126. How awesome was last week? It was so cool. God is so good. And it's always good to have little moments like that to see what's really happening across the life of our church. And what God is doing across our church is incredibly exciting. Uh, Psalm 126, uh, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask and pray, Lord, that you fill us with the faith we need for our present and for our future. I thank you and praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been doing a series at church called Song of Ascents. And, and so our theme for this year at King's Church is On the Rise. And our Bible series for the year is basically Psalms 120 to 134. Each one of them start with that heading, A Song of Ascent. And basically, these were songs that the Israelites would sing three times a year when they would gather together in Jerusalem. And the three times a year, they would gather together for feasts. And so they would come from all around the land and then they would go up to Jerusalem singing these hymns and these songs. The reason why it's called Songs of Ascent is because they actually had to walk up a hill to get to Jerusalem. In fact, topography speaking, Jerusalem is a little bit higher from sea level than Toowoomba is and that sort of thing. So it's actually up on a hill. So wherever they were, no matter what they went through, It was part of their custom, it was part of their culture, that they would walk and they would walk up towards Jerusalem singing these songs. It doesn't matter if they've had a rough three months, they would still sing these songs, songs talking about God's goodness, songs talking about God's deliverance, songs talking about the things that God has done in their lives. And so so all these psalms are songs that were sung during that time. Uh, So we're doing a series on those 15 psalms. They're not in numerical order, um, and so we're jumping around. As as you would know, those of you who were last week, Psalm 133, I did that one. But today I'm going back to do Psalm 126. And Psalm 126 uh, is a little bit different from Psalm 133 in that at the start it says a song of ascents. Last week when we did Psalm 133, it actually said a song of ascent of David. And so that said it was written by David. But here in Psalm 126 verse 1, it says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. So this is talking about people who've come back from the captivity of Zion. Some, uh, if you look it up, there's some commentaries that say that David wrote Psalm 126. I actually don't think that's possible because David lived approximately 1000 BC 
And the captivity of Zion, the release from Babylon, actually happened at 538 BC. So unless David lived for 500 years, there's no chance that actually David wrote this. So this was a song written at the end of that captivity. I love the fact that it says in verse 2 and verse 3, one of the things that they sing is that the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Did you know that God will do great things for you? We serve a good God who has good gifts for his children and he does good things. Don't get your theology twisted where you say God is good but then he does bad things. That's not how it works. He's a good God who actually does good things. And so no matter where they've been or where they're coming from, as they rise up towards Jerusalem, they are declaring the God, that God's got, the Lord's done good things for them And the Lord's done good things for us. I don't know about you, but it's easy to believe God to do good things for them. But it's not always easy to think that God would do good things for us. Oh, you know, God does good things for them. You know, they've just got the favour of God. But God wants you to know that not only will he do good things for them, he'll actually do good things for you as well. Because you are his child and he gives good gifts to his children. And so I want to talk to you today from this passage of Scripture about three things that God will do for you based out of this passage of Scripture. Yes, God may have done it for them, but I want to let you know that God will do it for you as well because we serve a good God. I love the fact how it says there, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we're like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. So here are these people, they've actually been in captivity. They've been in captivity longer than what they wanted to be. They've been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. First Sunday of this year, I preached out of Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, we talked about how the prophet Jeremiah prophesied to the Israelites who'd been taken away into captivity and told them that they're actually going to stay in captivity longer than what they wanted. They got taken into captivity. All these false prophets rose up and said, God's going to get you out of this. It's not going to last. It's going to be quick, you're God's people. And Jeremiah got up and he actually said, look, that's not actually true. Uh, You're going to be here a lot longer than what you thought. That's why I said, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. He said, have sons and daughters in this place. He says, you're going to stay here a lot longer than what you wanted. You're in captivity. You don't want to be here. It's going to be a lot longer than what you thought. Then he says in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, he says, but hey, behold the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So he's writing to, so in Psalms 126, we're on the back end of that. And actually now they've actually come out of that long captivity. Have you ever been in a situation that was bad and you thought and you knew God was going to get you out, but he took a lot longer than what you thought? When you're in a situation like that, sometimes you think this is never going to end. I'm stuck here. This is how it's going to be forever. You might even start dreaming about potentially getting out of this situation. But there does come a time when God will actually deliver you. And that's why it says when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, that's these people, we will like those who dream. What are they saying? Our dreams came true. We serve a God who can make your dreams come true. Amen. We serve a God who actually encourages us to dream. As believers, we need to make sure we don't ever let the spirit of disappointment and bitterness stop us from dreaming. 
Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, we had Pentecostal Sunday, Pentecost Sunday last week, that one of the signs of being a Pentecostal is that you'll have visions and dreams. So you're not really a Pentecostal if you've stopped dreaming. You're not really a Pentecostal if you're filled with bitterness and disappointment and always thinking about the things that God hasn't done. Because I'm here to let you know, you might have been in captivity a long time, but we serve a God who can deliver you from that situation. We were like men who dreamed our mouths were filled with laughter. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. One of the things about Christianity is this. We need to be careful that we don't get heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's why we need to be people of hope and faith because there are times when things come and challenge us. We see situations and it's not working out the way that we want. We need to not put our focus upon those situations. We need to put our focus on God. And so what happens is hope deferred. If you've waited longer than what you wanted for something, your heart can actually get sick. But watch this. He says a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So when God fulfills the promise, it's like you can't help but laugh. You can't help but be happy. It's something that comes up on the inside. And here are these people, 70 years they've been in captivity, 70 years in a place where they don't want to be, 70 years of dreaming, hoping. Some of those people, their whole life they've been in captivity. Their grandfather and their grandmother ended up going in captivity. They remember what it was like to be free. These people don't know what it's like to be free, but they had something on the inside of them saying that there was something better ahead, that they served a God who could deliver them and take them out of this situation. And even though year after year they waited, there did come a time when it was going to come to pass. I want to say to some people here today, why don't you get your hopes up? Because the God that you serve can deliver you from that situation. You might have been in there longer than what you wanted, but I'm here to let you know He can deliver you and set you free. We serve our God who's a deliverer. You might remember Psalm 124 I preached here a few weeks ago. And it says that God will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The thing that stopped you from soaring. The thing that stopped you from moving ahead. The thing that wasn't your fault but somebody did to you. God can deliver you and set you free. It wasn't these people's fault that they ended up in captivity. An enemy came and took them into captivity. But yet we serve a God who can deliver us from anything that anyone has done to us. We serve a God who's a deliverer. That's the first thing that God will do for you. He will deliver you. The next thing it says is this in verse 4. It says in verse 4, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Hold on. They're just saying he's delivered us from captivity. And now he's saying in the same psalm, Lord, bring back our captivity. That doesn't make any sense. But if you read it in the NIV translation, it says this. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the, in the Negev. So watch this. They've been delivered. They're set free. They're out of captivity. But now they need to live their life. They've got nothing. The God that delivered them from that in their past is the God that they need to move for them on their behalf right now. 
I'm here to let you know that the God that did that miracle for you back in the day is the same God that can do the miracle for you today. The one who set you free and delivered you from Zion is the same God that can actually release streams into your life right now. Interestingly enough, he says, restores in, in the NIV translation, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. In the in New King James Version, it says, as the streams in the south. So they're saying, God, move on our life like those streams. Now, these streams were not continuously flowing streams. They were seasonal streams. So much of the year, they were drought-stricken and dry. So there was beds and that sort of thing, but there was no streams. But then in wet season, what would happen is that all the water from the surrounding mountains would come and flow into this place and it would rush in like a flash flood. And so it wasn't a seasonal stream that was all year round that was just bubbling away. No, no, no. For much of the year it was dry, but then for other parts of the year there was a sudden flash flood. They're saying to God here, Lord, restore our fortunes like those streams. Do something quick. Do, some mighty, do something really fast. Do something that will take a lot longer for other people. He's saying, do something like that. What are they asking for? They're asking for restoration. And they're also asking for a breakthrough. God, we need you to provide a breakthrough. You've delivered us. You got us out of here. Now we're in a dry place. How are we going to live? The same God that did that miracle in our past. We need you now to do miracles for us right now. Like those streams, make them fast. Send a flash flood of blessing. Whatever it is, do something quick in our life. Did you know we serve a God who can do some things quick? God is not simply a God that does things slow. You can't pin him down. He has different gears. He does something slow and you've got to wait. And then there's other times when he does things really, really fast. If you look through the scripture, there's so many times where he will perform miracles really, really quickly and perform miracles for people who actually had suffered a long time. A long period of suffering and then a sudden change in miracle. That is actually a breakthrough. We serve a God who can do breakthroughs on our behalf. Um, back in uh, a number of years ago, I went to the movies to see, um, uh, this was a long time ago now, uh, the Tolkien series, Lord of the Rings. Uh, and so each year uh, on Boxing Day, uh, they would release one of the movies, three movies, three years in a row. Uh, my birthday's Boxing Day, uh, just in case you want to put it in your diary. Um, and, um, you know, think of me when you're on holiday somewhere. Um, and, so, uh, and so that was, you know, uh, we would go and watch it each time. Now, I had not read the book or the books. It's a trilogy, Lord of the Rings. I'm more of a C.S. Lewis guy. Uh, I'd read all the Narnia books. Uh, but I'd never read Lord of the Rings. And so I went to the movies not knowing what to expect. Uh, and really, um, each time I went... Uh, it basically looked like evil was just about to triumph over good. Uh, like there was never a time where it looked like there was an even, it was an even fight. Uh, the good guys were trying to always escape the bad guys. And, it was, and the whole way through, all three movies, I feel sorry for my mum and dad. I went to the second movie uh, one year and it was on my birthday. My parents came and dad never read the books. They didn't go to the first movie. Uh, and they didn't understand. The second movie is basically, it looked like evil's going to triumph the whole time. There was no resolution at the end. Uh, there was no real ending. My dad was so bored because it went for about two and a half, three hours. I heard him snoring uh, throughout, the whole, throughout, throughout the whole thing. And so, and so the fir- the th- and basically that was a storyline from the start right up to near the very end. Right near the very end, 
uh, they do a thing where they destroy the ring. It was a source of power. They destroy the ring, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, everything is better. And then they finish off very quickly with a really happy scene and then close off. I thought maybe they did that to save a bit of time. That's editing, but apparently that's how the books were written. That essentially for almost the whole way through, evil's about to triumph over good and then suddenly there's a sudden change and then everything's all of a sudden better. Tolkien, who wrote that, came in for a lot of criticism. Uh, people said, listen, that is not what, you know, that is wrong. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, you can't have things all of a sudden suddenly get better. You can't have it go be, you know, be bad the whole way through. All, this bad, all these bad things happen and then suddenly everything's better. And he said, well, I created a new literary term. And uh, critics would say, what is that? And he said, well, it's the phrase eucatastrophe, E-U catastrophe. So you know what a catastrophe is. Everything's going fine. You know, you're going well, and then something bad happens, and then all of a sudden, for a long period of time, you're suffering. And uh, we understand that. But he said, I've created a new phrase called eucatastrophe, so it's not a sudden change for the bad. He goes, it's a sudden change for the good, where you can have things happen for a long time that are bad, and suddenly, things become good. And he got a lot of criticism because people said that life is not like that. That's not how life works. That, you know, you can't have it where everything's going bad for a long period of time and all of a sudden something suddenly goes good. But I want to let you know that uh, for the Christian, it is possible. Because we serve a God who's a God of the breakthrough. Try talking to blind Bartimaeus about whether God can turn things to good. He was born blind, he was blind from birth and one encounter with Jesus, all of a sudden he could suddenly see. Try talking to the woman with the issue of blood. 12 years she suffered and one touch of Jesus' garment and suddenly things turned around. A sudden big breakthrough and blessing like the streams of the Negev is the God that we serve. And I want to let you know that the God who provided that miracle in the past is the same God who can provide a miracle for you right here, right now. He can produce breakthroughs. He's a restorer. Coming up in a couple of weeks, we do our annual, what we call breakthrough offering. And uh, it's a little bit different from other things, other offerings that we do. The breakthrough offering is where we simply believe that as a result of our generosity, God can provide a miracle. All through Scripture, it talks about there's times when people have sacrificed and been generous that they've positioned themselves to receive a miracle and a breakthrough. And, and that's coming up on June 13. And there are a number of people in our church that have told me that they've received breakthroughs. People got promotions, people got healed, people got property, all, as, all after giving in that breakthrough offering. But I want to let you know the same God that provided that miracle you needed back then is the same God that can provide that miracle for you right now. Like the streams in the Negev, he can restore, we serve a God of the breakthrough. And the third, that's why David says, he said, my God has broken through for me like a breakthrough of water, like the streams of the Negev, fast, quick, coming in fast, big. That's the kind of God that we serve. The third thing, the third thing that God, can do for you. It says in 126, Psalm 126, verses 5 to 6, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Hold on. I thought you were laughing. We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. That was the miracle of the past. 
Then they had the miracle of the present. We need you, God, to come through for us like the streams of the Negev. And now they're talking about the future. Notice this, he says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. So why are they weeping when they've got seed ready to sow? Well, the seed is what they need to sow in order to reap their harvest. So you'd think they'd be happy. But clearly that they were struggling. When they came out into Canaan at that time, Canaan was actually a very dry place. And so all they've got is this seed. But the only way they can reap the harvest is to let it go. You can't hang on to the seed and reap the harvest as well. So they needed to release the seed, act of faith, put it in the hands of God in order for them to actually receive that miracle. That's why they're weeping. This is all I got. Everything in me just wants to eat it right now. But that's not good for me. I need to sow it. Because as I sow it, I will actually reap a harvest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul talks about our giving to the kingdom of God like that. He says that when we give to the kingdom of God, he calls it sowing and reaping. That's why he says, see, he who sows generously will reap generously. And so all through the scripture there, he talks about it. He says that when we sow into the kingdom of God, when we give to the kingdom of God, to kingdom projects, he actually says that God will supply seed to the sower and bread for food. So you know what that means? It means that every bit of resource God gives us, part of it is bread to be bread for food. We're meant to consume it. We are meant to use it upon ourselves. But part of it is not meant to be consumed. Part of it is meant to be seed to be sown into the kingdom of God to reap a harvest in the future. God is never into... You look at nature. There's so much of nature where you're not supposed to consume everything. Now, my favourite fruit is apples. I grew up in Victoria. My grandfather was an orchardist. And my favourite apple is a golden delicious. Now, the only negative thing about being in Queensland, you don't get proper gold delicious up here. If you want a proper gold delicious apple, you've got to get it down from down in Victoria. Now, don't worry. They don't have proper bananas and they don't have proper pineapple, okay? So it evens out. But, you know, if you want to have a proper apple, uh, a proper gold and delicious, you've got to get it from Victoria. I would have gold and delicious every day. I loved them. They were my favourite apple. In my lunchbox every day, I would have a gold and delicious. But as much as I loved gold and delicious, I never ate the entire thing. There's a part of it I didn't eat. It's called the core, and the core houses the seed. Now, there are some sick people out there who eat the entire thing, who eat the core. Put your hand up if you eat the core. Okay, we've got a couple of people like that. Okay, that's fine. It's all right, you know. Um, but you do know if the rest of us ate the core, eventually we'd run out of apples, Right? Because we'd be consuming the seed. That's why God made the core yucky. He doesn't want us to touch it. I'll do an altar call after. No, just kidding. Why? Because it houses the seed and the seed is not meant to be consumed. The seed is actually meant to be sown. Here's the other thing. When the Bible talks about it, it talks about the context is, you know, in giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, The other thing about seed is this. Seed has to be put in the right environment in order for it to actually work. You can't walk around with seed in your pocket. What are you doing? Growing a golden delicious tree. (laughs) Right here, mate. 
One day it's just going to sprout. No, no, that's not how it works. It's got to be put in the right environment. It's got to be put in the soil. You have to let it go. You can't grab it in your hand and shove it in the ground and wait for it to come up. At some point, you have to let it go and you have to put it in the right place. You see it is in the right environment, that's when you actually produce a harvest. Now, my parents, um, one time I went home, they live in Melbourne, and, and I went and visited them and I went in the backyard. The backyard was covered with all these vines and these great big leaves. And uh, normally it's not like that. And, and I said, Mum, what is going on here? And she said, we've got pumpkins. So I noticed all through the backyard and in the gardens were these pumpkins. And they weren't in any one particular garden. One was actually a vine wrapped around a tree and a pumpkin was actually coming off it. And pumpkins everywhere. And I said, when did you plant a pumpkin garden and why didn't you put it in one place? And she said, we didn't plant a pumpkin garden. So what happened is my parents are composters, right? And so they would, you know, obviously what happened one day, they had pumpkin for dinner. They didn't eat the seeds. They cut all that out and then they have a compost bin. So if you go to mum and dad's place, they've got a bin under the sink where you've got to put all the scraps. If you put them in the other bins, dad will fish them out and he'll put it in that bin. You know, it's his pride and joy. It's a science experiment under the sink. And then he would take it and out the back corner was the compost area. And so he would grab it and he would put it in the compost. And so then after a while, after turning over, they would grab that compost, put it in the garden to help things grow. So what had happened was the seed ended up in, um, you know, the seed ended up getting scraped off into the bowl. Interestingly enough, it didn't sprout in the bowl. Then they grabbed it and they threw it on the compost heap. Then they grabbed it and they put it in the soil. When the seed hit the soil, that's when it started springing up. And all through the garden, because they put this compost everywhere, all these pumpkins started sprouting up. And because they didn't want to go and buy any, they just kept it and grew a number of them and that sort of thing. And their backyard looked like a jungle, but they had about six pumpkins all across the back. Seed has to be sown and put in the right environment in order for a harvest to be reaped. That's why they're sowing with tears. It's a faith step. I have to let this go. It's safer for me to hold on to it. What's going to happen when I let it go? Maybe I'll hold on to it in the ground. You can't do that. I have to let it go. And when, I, and when you let it go, so, uh, when you let it go, you're putting it in the hands of God. So watch this. The God who delivered you from Zion... The God that did that thing for you in that past. The God that you're seeking for right now to release streams in the Negev. The God you need to restore right now is the same God you need to put your faith into in the future. You know, God has not intended us to live the Christian life where we have one miracle and then nothing else happens. There are so many times in our lives when you're serving and following the Lord, we need miracles and we actually need breakthrough. I subconsciously thought that if I needed a miracle, I must have done something wrong or messed something up in order for me to need one. But I've realised now that's not actually how it works. That actually there are plenty of times in our life where we need God to move, when we need a miracle, when we need a breakthrough. The Bible says we have an enemy who's trying to abort God's plans in our life. He's trying to come against us. And God wants to provide miracles for us. So the same God who delivered is the same God who will restore 
and is the same God that will provide into the future. Amen? And so that's why we're taking up, every year we do this. We receive a breakthrough offering and we're doing it on the 13th of June. And normally we preach into it for a few weeks and that sort of thing. Didn't really feel to do that this time. But, and, and, if you, and if you're new and you want to know what's the purpose, the purpose of the breakthrough offering is not to raise an amount. The purpose of the breakthrough offering is for people to receive breakthroughs and miracles. That all we ask people to do is to go and seek God and seek God what He would have you to give and, and, and whether there's something that He's actually causing you to believe for at that. Now, we do use um, this offering to honour all our, our missions commitments. Uh, there's a, some of the missions, uh, and we'll show you that over the next couple of months, the different missions that we support. Some of them, because of COVID, have had a lot of their support actually pulled. A lot of churches have stopped supporting them, uh, but that won't be happening from us. We've made a firm commitment that everything that we're committed to, we're going to continue to honour that. Uh, and so that won't be an issue. And so proceeds from the breakthrough offering go towards that. But please hear my heart. This breakthrough offering is not a missions offering, even though that's where it's going to, most of it's going to go. This offering is a breakthrough offering to believe for things in the future. Some of us might bear our seed weeping for sowing, but the promise of God is this, doubtless you will actually receive it, receive your harvest rejoicing. Doubtless, I love that. Sometimes when we sow into the kingdom of God, we think, oh, it's a risk, I'll never see that again. But it can be like that for everything. I was just moaning to someone this morning because uh, I'd booked tickets. We're having a birthday party for my dad in Melbourne for his 75th couple of weeks. Just so happens it's a couple of days after the state of origin at the MCG. So last week, week before last, two weeks ago now, I booked a whole bunch of tickets to state of origin, which now... It says if you do it for the kingdom, doubtless. Anything else is unsure. Everything else is riskier. But when you bring your resource into the hands of the Lord, He says, doubtless, you'll be bringing your sheaves with you. Rejoicing, amen. That same God who provided that miracle for you in the beginning, the same God who'll provide one for you now, is the same God is going to provide one in the future. He'll do good things for them, yes, but He does good things for us. Amen? And so maybe right now, you need a breakthrough miracle in a particular area of your life. Maybe right now, you need God to do something on your behalf. You're needing God to move. We want to pray with you and believe God that you might receive that breakthrough. Maybe it's for healing. Maybe it is for provision. Whatever it is, we're going to pray for you right now. So if that's you, just we'll pray for you just in your seat. So wherever you are right now, just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here and you're needing a breakthrough, if that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me today. I need a breakthrough. I need a miracle. I need God to move on my behalf. Awesome. Keep your hands raised. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person with their hands raised. And I pray, Lord God, that you would perform miracles, Lord God, I thank you, Lord, ahead of time that you will provide some sudden miracles, just like the streams of the Negev, Lord God. You will release and provide those miracles for your people. 
I thank you and I praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. The God who delivered us is the God who will restore and provide for us. And I thank you ahead of time for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. I just had a picture then and I saw some gears clunking. It was like, it was just clunking. The gears weren't working together. So someone's got a situation where something is stuck, it's not moving. Then I saw the Holy Spirit just pour some oil on it and I saw it get greased up and start moving. So there's a couple of people here. There's something you're trying to force and make happen. God wants you to know all of a sudden it's just going to be smooth. It's going to start happening quickly for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord God, that for those who need that situation which is stuck, clunky and not moving, I release the anointing of God upon that right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? We did a new song this morning. It's called Jireh. God's name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and provides. And so we're going to worship God uh, and we're going to continue to praise Him. And as we do, I want to encourage you to lift your heart, lift your hands, lift your voice. As you do, His presence comes and He'll fill you with life, joy and strength. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.